0: Welcome to the Quest for Excellence podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Montreal. I'm joined today by Michelle Ramos. Uh, incredibly excited to have you here today, Michelle, and just a little bit about you. Uh, you are a professional barber, stylist, and makeup artist. Uh, you also run a nonprofit called Don't Raise Statistics. Uh, you're also a loving and loyal mother to your young daughter. And I got to say, guys, without question, Uh, Michelle has one of the most incredible life stories of perseverance and complete unwillingness to play the victim role, which is something that so many people do. Um, And she just decided not to give up on life. So uh, it's, I'm super excited to have you here. I know this conversation is going to be incredibly valuable for anybody who listens to this. So Michelle, thank you for being here.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. Um, This, you know, we just talked for damn near (laughs) 45 minutes before this and, Got to know each other a little bit, and we've had some time to talk over the past week, and I'd already consider you a friend. You're a very open person. I'm the same way. I I just gravitate towards people like that. So this should be great based on that fact. And I want to dive right in, because there's so much to talk about. You've had such a rich life with ups and downs and and, you know having to get through some pretty intense shit. Um, So again, I I know a little bit about your life. You recorded a video a couple years ago for school you were at, for your barber school. That's yes. kind of how I you do. Through a friend of a friend, you, you had come across my podcast through him. I contacted you per his suggestion, and here we are.
1: I know uh, networking at its finest.
0: Oh, it was crazy! It, it was such a a micro of this, and it happened so quickly. You know, it was he, it was within 24 hours we were already connected. And I'm a true something.
1: believer that like things happen for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> like I feel All like right. our paths were supposed to cross.
0: Yep, yep, and. I think that ha- that's true either way like negative or positive and I think we're both in a good mindset right now and we were meant to find each other to help each other and also to help other people you know sometimes you you know things happen for the wrong reason but that's it was supposed to happen right right uh, anyway so let's let's dive right in I I know a little bit about your life based on your video but there are some details that I'd like to hear if you're willing and you know the first thing you described in I guess I could go ahead and talk about before we even go into what happened when you were eight and and you being stabbed and all that go before that because I know nothing about you where you were you know where you were born what city you were born in I know about your brothers and sisters but if you want to talk about your super early life up until that point when you were eight um, just whatever you want to discuss about that
1: the crazy part about that question though is that actually because of that tragic incident when I was eight years old it did mm-hmm. Childhood PTSD. So I really don't have a lot of
0: memory wow. wow, really?
1: for the stabbing. Um, but I was born in Sarasota, Florida. Okay. Um, I do know my family moved us to Ohio when I was like four, going on five, kind of like the beginning of elementary years. Okay. Um, and it's going to jump ahead. Um, in in this brilliant format you got here but um my brain surgeries the very first one ultimately gave me epilepsy so having ptsd like memories blocked out so early in life from the accident and then the epilepsies like in the seizures it it was like a complete memory mess up <laughs> so oh yeah yeah sometimes i'll get flashbacks like i remember i had this like memory when i had to ask my family, I said, I keep having this like memory or flashback. I can't remember. It's like a cul-de-sac road, and there's a line of kids and a motorcycle and like going in circles, you know. And my mom's just kind of looking at me like, "Are you serious?" She's like, "So, when you was like three years old, you know, when your dad would get off of work, you would. We lived on a cul-de-sac, and you would stand there, and once he would pull up, all the kids, you know, he would drive them, you know, little laps around the cul-de-sac. So there and and that is a memory obviously from early childhood but that is a memory that I just recently
0: had interesting wow that's fascinating uh, I'd like to talk a, a bit more about that um, whatever you're willing to talk about but well I guess I guess <laughs> then uh, up until because I know nothing about it and you know you can talk about as much of it that you're comfortable with with, with <laughs> the stabbing what what exactly happened what was it an accident oh, you know, well, what, we what, was
1: in the neighborhood playing and um, this was back in, like, early 90s. So mm-hmm. there, I don't know if you, you probably remember, we're probably good age-wise, um, <laughs> when Power Wheels first came out with that battery-operated car. Like, it was a red Corvette, and it was the most basic that a Power Wheel could be. Like, it was, like, one drive bar down to the tires, left, right, and a gas pedal and a battery. You know, most basic. Um, We lived in a really um, low-income neighborhood, so this was a used power wheel. It had a ringer, you know, it was was not brand new out the box. And the um, crankshaft drive thing, like this big long metal pole that goes from the steering wheel, this is all inside, you know, under the red Corvette cover. So there's a long metal pipe, like um, it goes down from the steering wheel and then it connects to another long pipe. And when you turn, that's how, you know, you could turn the car. Well, that drive crankshaft being busted through the steering wheel. Oh. I was turned around, like my, my butt was on the steering wheel. We were turning around doing a picture. I, I, I don't know what we were doing, but it busted through the steering wheel and it went up into the from through the butt and then up and through to me towards the front.
0: Oh, wow. Jesus. So, yeah. And do you remember that? Do you remember the, the when that happened, the pain and all that? Was it that vivid? Is that why the PTSD hit in? Because that was such a- No,
1: actually like was, no. my oldest sister, we, me and her uh, a couple years ago, we actually just had this conversation. Like I asked, I wanted to know the details, I guess, because I was so bothered that I couldn't remember anything. And, Mm -hmm. she had made a comment and i had looked at her like what are you talking about she's like you really didn't know i was standing next like no i don't remember nothing and uh apparently it happened and uh she's um oh my goodness she's like almost 10 years older than me so you know she's like 18 years old and she watched it happen she got me pulled up off the car and took walked me home and um I do remember telling my mama, "I was bleeding, Mm -hmm. bleeding." But she, when was she was very, she had started her menstrual. So when she heard it, she thought she was like, "Go to the bathroom, like we really got to go talk." And apparently, that's when somebody like brought her the bloody crankshaft thing and two and two together. And she put me in a car and drove me to Children's Hospital because she said she would get me to the hospital before ambulance would get to the house.
0: <laughs> yeah. So that was... Un- unreal. Yeah. And you spent that, that's talk. And the one thing that kept popping in my head, like you you had nothing to do with this. Talk about a random, completely, you know, I, I initially thought that, you got stabbed by like a family member or some kid, or it was like an accident, but talk about the most random shit possible. Oh yeah. Uh, it's just crazy. I, I've never even really heard anything like that with yeah, so in that, like, that exact circumstance. Right, so
1: when I think back to my childhood, I mean, obviously like I'm older, so little memories come back, but like for the longest time, like I mean a good solid decade of my life, trying to think of like a childhood memories and things, the very first memory that I truly have is waking up, Tied to a bed, like my hands were in restraints. um mm-hmm. bed at Children's Hospital, and I had a shit bag. <laughs> like, oh, I don't even know if I can say that word. I'm sorry. But oh no,
0: yeah, you can. Oh, you say the shit. I had bum, whatever a you want. Clausty, okay. it's fine. So
1: Like my very bag. Yeah. My very first memory is eight years old, and I got a stoma with a bag around it, and I can look down and I can watch myself have bowel movement.
0: Oh God. Wow, and that you know, I, I laugh about that out. I don't mean, oh no, I can laugh about way. it now, trust me. <laughs> yeah, but when you're a kid, you're, that can't be fun, that can't be okay. I think it's that's like really shocking. The
1: way it's been explained to me over the years is like the, it, that yeah. tragic incident is why, like, my memories are messed up. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, you what going through, um, and I don't really mean adult things, but that's really intense, you know, even when kids going through cancer treatment it changes you and we'll talk about this later on how you matured a lot quicker than other kids and how that affected your school life yeah well I want to hear more about that but sorry right, so that happened I know from your video a few months later you were uh, you can get rid of the doo-doo bag you didn't have to have that anymore yes. and, uh, so things are starting to kind of get back to normal and then another thing happened which I had no no details about but when you were 12 you broke your hip and this I do know this singular thing, however it happened, which uh, we'll talk about here, but this singular thing probably had the most impact on the next you know, 10, 15, 20 years of your life. Oh my God.
1: Um, For, uh,
0: so go ahead. It, what happened? How, how, how'd you break your
1: hip? Uh, another freak of nature, I
0: guess. Oh my Lord, And <laughs> <So>, um, <laughs> ahead.
1: And it, it, it's, growing up, it was, uh, we played softball. We would be outside playing. And I was getting these Charlie horses. And if you've ever had a Charlie horse, they're excruciating, mm-hmm. Like <laughs> so
0: um mm-hmm. Shocked, horrible.
1: doing teenage 12-year-old life, you know, and these Charlie horses were so bad. And we thought it was like, you know, growing pains or this. You know, we've had doctors say, Eat some more bananas, get some more potassium. You guys, So these Charlie horses literally went on for about nine months. And uh blood curling screams. now in your mind picture this like if you're standing up and you look down at your feet your toes are pointing forward your heels are behind your body and that's how it is well over nine months of um charlie horses my left foot the toes were actually where the heel was and the heel was like would was basically almost where the toes would be pointing so my left leg had made an almost full turn radius. Wow. So what? after nine months of it, like we had this one Charlie horse that was just so excruciating. My dad said, no more, like, let's go to the hospital. He took me to the ER and he was asked, he's like, well, where's the x-rays? Like, cause he explained to this doctor, like we've been doing this, you know, this has been nine months. Like this can't be a vitamin, you know. Def- yeah,
0: Something's yeah.
1: wrong well the doctor asked my dad he's like well where's who can i call for the x-rays my dad's like ain't nobody ever done no x-rays what are you talking about so they did x-rays and come to find out my left hip was almost nine and a half inches out of socket and the Charlie horses was because how i said my toes was where my heel was the um the as it slipped out of the socket and the leg was turning, all those Charlie horses was the muscles coming off the bone as the leg would turn more out. Oof, so that
0: just sounds beyond painful. It, uh, it was yeah, excruciating. That, yeah.
1: They called it a slipped epiphysis. Um, it's okay. common in, in, in females in puberty where the growth plate um, will crumble.
0: Mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. allows
1: the, the hip to slide out of socket so they um fixed it and they was i was in a hospital bed um for that whole year or in a wheelchair like couldn't walk and they did an x-ray to see where we was at in the you know the growth plate that they put in you know that one crumbled and the hip slipped out of socket again at 13 we had to have another hip surgery where they put in a bracket and screws and then that meant I had to lay in that hospital bed and be in the wheelchair and not walk for another like 15 months because the growth plate can grow back in on its own, but you just have to like give it that time.
0: Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. The yeah. screws
1: and the bracket in the hip, it allowed it to grow back in. So when I was 15, they was able to like go in and pull out the bracket and the screws. So it, it fixed itself, so to say. But Mm -hmm. if you fast forward, you know, 10, 15 years, um, when you spend that much time in a hospital bed or a wheelchair and then you have parents that love you and they try to make a bad situation better the best way they know how, um, you tend to gain a lot of weight when they feel bad and you get a happy meal for this and then you get
0: yeah, yeah. So
1: through that time, like I definitely gained so much weight that by the time I got to like my 20s, I was 420 pounds. Wow.
0: 420
1: pounds on a damaged hip socket. It's not good. So ultimately, no. um, the arthritis had formed and my hip had like fused itself together. It was excruciating and- pain.
0: And you spent, to back up just a tiny bit, you spent, uh, I, I think I heard this correctly in the video, you spent three years
1: in mobile where you yeah, couldn't three walk? Three and a half years in a hospital bed, wheelchair, and then physical therapy, and beginning to walk again.
0: Yeah. That alone, I, I mean, anybody hearing this, to, to be a young kid, not being able to walk, and, and like you said, you did have some of the... Make you feel better, things going on, the McDonald's, the you know, being able to eat whatever you wanted and, and you know, getting showered with love and affection. That all feels good, but to be stuck for three years as a young teen, that that alone, the fact that you're here talking to me right now and you're a badass woman and you're a great mother and all that, that says a lot about you, so <laughs> that's crazy. That that would have turned a lot of people from I cannot ever get out of this. I'm gonna be overweight the rest of my life, I'm gonna be living with my parents. I'm never gonna have kids. I'm never gonna have a partner. This is just gonna be who I am. And this this is what I mean about you not choosing the victim role. You easily could have like that was the point right there where it could have set it yeah. for the rest of your life, but it didn't. And so let's th- this next part of your life is interesting. I dealt with some similar stuff, um, being mature, more mature than most people, but also having some big time emotional issues and not having a filter and you know trying to fit in and all that kind of stuff. So you went and to kind of set the stage here kind of how you described it in your video but you know being out of the social environment when you're a young kid it's tough enough when you're growing up in it but being out of it and then being thrust back into it when you were how old did you go back to traditional school so
1: i got to start sixth grade and i was in middle school for two months maybe when the hip and when Mm -hmm. we found it was truly broke and then I got put back into school about maybe three months into freshman year. They put me back into a public school.
0: Okay, so right there, that's being in high school alone. You know, I'm guessing you didn't really know anybody at the school. You didn't have friends that were Just there, a huh? People a couple you were... of the,
1: you know girls I grew up playing softball with, and like where I lived was a dead okay. end street. Literally, like six houses on this dead end street. So I knew the kids that you know I grew up with. But you
0: know, gotcha, gotcha. Didn't really,
1: well, I probably may- know people, cause
0: yeah, yeah. Well, at least yeah, I I didn't I wasn't expecting that. But at least you knew a couple yeah, people. Yeah. That probably helped at least <laughs> in some ways. But the way you described it, you know, having to deal with because you ha- you grew up so fat, you had to, you had to. You, you were a teenager and you dealt with more. Th- stuff than most people do in their entire lives um, when it it comes to hardships and I mean to get through stuff surgeries and all that like that's more than I've spent time in the hospital it's it's wild so you know you get to school you're in this kind of mature uh, mindset you're not used to the adolescent kind of vibe and and kids joking around and being silly or or starting to experiment with new things and and maybe rebel a bit so uh, yeah talk about that you know maybe the first little bit and then how you ended up getting into the wrong co- crowd, doing some drugs and all that, you know, how did that morph into struggling to fit in to getting with that group of people? It's basically
1: know? exactly what you said. It was struggling yeah. to fit in, like, find my place. Because like, when you're in elementary school, you you know, you're these little cute, innocent babies, <laughs> you know? And then when you get to hmm. middle school, it's kind of like, you know, like, you know boys and, and, and girls you guys you, we hit puberty and, and our bodies begin transforming and you know so so it's like a whole new stage of life and then when you get to high school it's like you're these little adults and it's like mold mm-hmm. you. Well that middle part, you know, where it's like how you would like kind of form your identity I was around nothing but grown-ups. <laughs> and, and it was mm-hmm. never a situation of a sugar coat so for me it's you know i've always had hard truths and brutal realities and this is what it is and this is what we've got to do to fix it and that's it <laughs> so uh, it going into high school and then being around these people that didn't have those hard truths like and then you know you weigh 420 pounds you you're just you're it, it was hard <laughs> it was, yeah,
0: I, I'm, I'm literally I'm literally in the mindset that you were when you're in the school. When I'm feeling those emotions, you know, there's going to be a little bit of envy. There's going to be a little bit of
1: mistrust. Yeah, I Bitterness was going to say the and... anger,
0: because, yeah, yeah, it's just, it's tough. And it's not like, um, you know, none of this was really your fault. None of, the, And that's also why it makes it more difficult. But, you know, in many ways, you were kind of beyond a lot yeah. of these people. know but that wasn't recognized by anyone well it it got recognized in the
1: sense of in from when i did get to go in ninth grade my Mm -hmm. mid-tenth grade year i had been kicked out of one high school sent to another got kicked out of that high school sent back to the first one kicked out of that school and sent to an alternative school
0: and was that the saturn school right (laughs) Awesome. And um, from what I remember, you graduated pretty quick. It sounded like you really liked well, being there. I remember seeing that picture of It wasn't of you so much sure that I liked being you know, big, there,
1: to be honest with you. Saturn, yeah. Their concept for the program was genius, but it was mm-hmm. fresh and new back then. So it was really this like kind of crappy old building kind of in the back of Summit Lake. And it was kind of like where they sent the quote unquote problem mm-hmm. kids. So, the program gotcha. was genius and I'm thankful that I got to be a part of it in the beginning of it while they was building and and, and mm-hmm. you know finding a way to make it work because ultimately I got moved you know to one of the other high schools and it's a much larger program I don't think it's called Saturn anymore
0: um oh no
1: I think what set me up for success with Saturn was the three years of homeschooling um Saturn was basically like homeschooling except I had to get up and go there. But it was, here's your work. This is what you got to learn. Work at your own pace. And I had for three years. So for me, it was like I could blow through because I was already disciplined to just get in a book and do the work and be done with it.
0: Well, uh, this is almost a blessing, then, because you couldn't have done this in traditional high school. You would have been stuck miserable through when you were 18, right? Because you graduated graduated when you were 16, right, from Saturn? That's freaking awesome! Like, all again, you you could have played the victim and just been miserable and hung out with the wrong people, done the wrong shit. I know it wasn't like you were perfect after this point. You got in some trouble, whatever. But um, and it wasn't like it was your decision, but you took what life gave you and made awesome. the best of it. Simple <laughs> as that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it. It's fucking amazing. So, all right. So from there, you know, you you were already. I'm I'm assuming during that time you might have been hanging around with some of the wrong people as well. Uh, and then after that, when you graduated, you know, you, you moved when you were 18, you were emancipated, you started emancipated being grown, right? I 16.
1: <laughs> I moved Six, out okay. when I was gotcha. 16, but yes.
0: Under, uh, and, and you started living, you know, an adult life yep. right then. You just hit the ground running immediately. And with that comes, um, you know, maybe re- meeting the wrong people finding the wrong ways to feel better about yourself through the wrong relationships or, or narcotics, or whatever. So you, you wanna talk about that phase as much as you want to, you don't have to go too in depth. But no, I'm seriously, it was, uh,
1: you know, like was- once you get to a point when you're dead inside, it's like you could have this vessel of a body and you can be walking around, but inside you could still be dead. So, I mean, Mm-hmm. it was you know I gotta go I had got two jobs so obviously I got rent to pay now but there was a lot of voidance in the sense of like trying to fill these missing things and and, and for me it wasn't even there were things that I just I didn't know about like I had been sheltered I had been you know, taken care mm-hmm. of medically like all you know I basically was put in a bubble and, and then I got out into the world and, and it it was a harsh reality to how cruel people could be. And then when you get that line of Coke or, you know, it, I read something the other day that about, um, oh, my gosh, I want to find it just to be absolutely right. But it's like not no, no, being go ahead, go addicted ahead. to the drug. It's being addicted to making the hurt and the loneliness and the- not exist. Exactly.
0: That's a couple of weeks ago this came up in my life too and it it doesn't matter what you're addicted to, cigarettes, sex, weed, coke, it doesn't matter. The addiction can be as strong with any of them. It could be chocolate. It doesn't have to be a tier one narcotic. So That's super powerful and people don't realize that. A lot of people don't. But so that's, I I get it. I, I get what you were going through. It's the same kind of idea of just trying to fit in and, and have some semblance of, of normalcy, even if it is doing, you know- Not in, right. for me, drugs, it was just, um, I no, wanted no, no to judgment. feel
1: like I belonged somewhere. Like, like I, have, yeah, yeah, right. I, I didn't belong in school. I didn't belong at home. I didn't, you know, I, 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 I just, I felt I didn't belong anywhere.
0: If I can give you a little, uh, and I don't really like to talk about my life too much at all. I mean, this is all about you. But when I was in high school, just a little bit, uh, when I was 10, I moved from New Orleans to uh, Detroit where my mom's family was. Had a few years of like growing pains, but had some friends, whatever. But getting into high school, that all kind of changed first couple of years where I, it was basically an environment where if you didn't have money to throw in on the bag or the or the beer, you weren't going out with, with your quote unquote yes. friends that night. It was that kind of environment. So I totally understand and I, no judgment at all. I, I get that feeling of I'll do whatever I need to do to not yes. feel alone. It's that simple. That's like one of the most basic primal urges of humans. So let's keep going. So I don't care about what you were doing. I know what you were doing and why you were doing it. So keep going. Talk about when you started to see little black oh, wow. spots well, in your vision.
1: Oh my goodness. Yeah. So what happened was, um, I had moved to Florida when I was 19. <laughs> Spent a few years down there. Went, like I didn't go back to Sarasota, I went to North Florida. Um, And I don't know what brought me back to Ohio, but you know, you see them little stickers in people's cars all the time say, stuck in Ohio. That's how I feel. Mm -hmm. Like Ohio is home, you know, it's not where I was born, but it's home. So I came back to Ohio um, and got another place. I was working a lot of jobs. I was staying high, doing what I knew to do to survive. And so Mm -hmm. I thought, I started getting these headaches And I really thought I just, you know, needed some glasses. So obviously I put it on the back burner. It's hard to make appointments when you're working basically two full-time jobs. So um, once we did that, I went, I finally made the eye doctor appointment when the little black dots started becoming almost like a fog in my eye. So Mm -hmm. I'm Mm -hmm. in this eye doctor place and they dilate my eyes and they look in them And then this lady just like, I could tell on her face, like it was a look of, I don't know, I don't know. Like it was one of those feelings that you get that you know something's not okay, but you don't know what, you know? So I am sitting there and she leaves and then she walks back in with like two, three other doctors. (laughs) They're all just like looking in my eyes and (laughs) looking at each other and I see them writing notes. And I'm like, okay, listen, I need something. Like what is going on here? Like, like, not,
0: what, what's going
1: on? Like, How many? Do I need glasses? And they're like, yeah, yeah, No, you need to go to the hospital. Like, you really. We don't want to worry you. You know, we're not. We're not going to alarm you. We're just going to give you a letter. It'll be an envelope. Just take it to the doctor. And once the ER doctor comes in, just give them the letter, and they'll know exactly what to do. Like, they got it. So I'm definitely like worried. Um, and they had told me like have somebody meet me there because i was obviously i went to the eye doctors alone They was like you know make sure somebody meets you at the hospital like you so so i called my mom mm-hmm. and uh, her and my dad are on their way to the hospital and i'm on my way to the hospital we get there and we give them this letter and the doctor comes in and he's just like we need to do a spinal tap like right away like you know and i'm just looking at them like excuse me <laughs> like what the hell is a spinal tap and they Definitely explained it and we did it. And they said that like, when they put the needle into your spine, like fluid is gonna come out and this little action thing that was sticking out of my back, you gotta lay so still. You can't move. Um, it's painful. <laughs> it's not Oh right.
0: God, yeah. So they said
1: that the pressures, they'll, they, they want them to measure like an 11 and that tells them how much fluids on the brain, blah, blah, blah. Now I'm sitting here like, brain, like, what are y'all talking about? Like, I just needed some glasses. Um, The opening pressures <laughs> yeah. the first time were almost 60. We was at like a 58. And they pulled so much oh. fluid off. And then come to find out, they said it's this um illness. It's called pseudotumor cerebri, And it's where your brain believes that it has a brain tumor. Like, it's a pseudotumor is a false brain tumor. Um, false tumor. So the brain... Mm was swelling because it thinks that there's this brain tumor in it so the brain is swelling and the body's trying to protect itself when your brain swells your optical nerves they swell as well but the the part the catcher part is that when your optical nerves swell to a certain degree the only thing that's left to happen is the nerve endings begin to die so the black dots was and actually before the black dots came, now that I'm thinking about it, sorry, um were ruching mm, migraines. Like I would lock myself in the basement uh, of a house where absolutely no light, no sound. It was cool, like light would hurt physically. Sound would hurt physically hmm. like to where I would be vomiting and crying and like just wanting my head to to go away so um wow the the black dots was actually like my body trying to say hey something ain't right I waited yeah this ain't just
0: migraines bro you gotta, you gotta go Yeah.
1: <laughs> so um they relieved that pressure and they got off a whole bunch of the fluid and they said you know this should be the fix." Well. Twenty spinal taps into it because the headaches would keep coming, Um, the the floaters would get worse. That's when they said, "Okay, we need to put in a brain shunt because obviously, like the the one spinal tap didn't fix it. (laughs) Like your brain is swelling, and we need to give the body a way to get the fluid off when it does raise. So that's where." Brain surgery came in and they put in the first brain shunt.
0: And this was after you you had had, uh, I think, I'm trying to get this part of the timeline correct. You had already had 20 spinal taps up to this point, or were you having these as you were? No, we had had about
1: 20, well, 20 spinal taps and blood patches because sometimes when they do a spinal tap, um, if something can happen to where um, the needle, where they put the needle into your spine and then they pull it out. Um, Generally and usually, like a little blood clot forms in that pinhole and it seals it. Mm -hmm. But in the the instance that it doesn't get sealed, you get sick. (laughs) You get super sick because there's now a pinhole link in your spinal cord. And as that blood drips off onto the spinal cord, it makes you sick. So what they do is they... Put the needle back they use an x-ray machine and they put the needle back into the exact hole where they did the spinal tap and then they draw blood out of your arm and they inject it into your spine called a blood hmm. and it's to Jeez. force a clot to make you stop getting sick <laughs> so it was like spinal taps and there was a couple times we had had the blood patches you know to to seal the spinal tap hole but after there was like so many of those that's when we opted for the brain shine
0: mm. like, because you were just kind of pretty right. little abandoned on the problem that's exactly how they you said it. it too got it yep yeah and how many how many brain surgeries no, you had we, was it actually, three we
1: had from two? 2010 to 2014 there's been 11 um Initial oh, install Whoa. of the brain shunt, obviously, and then things happen. Like I was four hundred plus pounds. Like um, one time, the dog jumped on my stomach, and it pulled the tube out of the abdomen, and then it like started going back up in the neck. um,
0: um oh, One of
1: the brain shunts it just stopped working, and I was getting sick. Like. So they literally took it out of where it was in the skull, and they replaced it into a different area of the skull, and it seemed to work good. And then we was we've been doing pretty good since then. I got pregnant. And
0: yeah, I was just gonna say right in the middle of this, you got pregnant yes, yes, in 2012, right? Insane. And, and let me let me let me ask you about that. Because I, I could sit here and listen to an hour of you talking about all the medical stuff. It's pretty fascinating. I'm like blown away. I didn't know about a lot of this stuff. It's, it's great. But um, both in essence of time and, you know, for, for both of us in the audience, th- this part too, I really want to ask you about this. Yeah, got yes. pregnant in 2012, right? You, you were still incredibly overweight at this point from what you told me. Uh, I think I remember seeing a picture of you when you were pregnant. You big old belt That dude was... Oh, good yeah, sure. no offense. Nothing like that. I don't care. You're a beautiful person. Yeah, you were you were you're pretty big. Um and this is the part I want to ask you about because I'm curious how you answer this. It's gonna kinda solidify how I, I think you've dealt with all of this, I think. But you, you you got sober when the
1: day I pregnant. took the pregnancy test, I was wrung out.
0: Yep. <laughs> and and I, this is gonna I know it was difficult that goes without saying no one is like yeah I get to be off drugs tomorrow and yeah I feel great no I understand it was tough but if you can talk about this is where people struggle they don't have a why they don't have a reason why they do things you know so your reason was your daughter and she wasn't even there yet but how difficult was that to put because really you were putting this this was a pivotal point in your entire life you were putting the old you behind the old ways of coping with things, being selfish by doing drugs, which really wasn't helping you at all. It was hurting your health. Look what happened with, I'm assuming that a lot of your lifestyle and your habits and stress and worry attributed to a lot of the problems in your brain and swelling and all that. um, So you had to decide, okay, all of that is gone. I'm not gonna be able to cope with life the way that I used to in the past. Some people can't do that. They'll still do drugs while they're pregnant. You know, you, you know what I'm getting at? crack babies all that kind of stuff so how did you do that how are you able to just say okay i'm done that's it i I just i made that choice right now it's over oh you're gonna make me cry how that (laughs) happened in your brain no it's fine cry all you want i'll cry with you you gotta
1: rewind a little bit um Mm -hmm. one of the reasons that i dove so far into the drug world was because when i was 18 Obviously, I just lived this life of really bad, bad things. And I knew like weighing 400 pounds wasn't healthy. And I knew like from the outside looking in, I probably looked like this horrible, fat, nasty person. And like society has this way of like, they might not say it to your face, but you know, like, people look at a fat person and just think like they're fat because they want to be or they don't care or you know like whatever but uh so I had um, back when I was 18 it was when gastric bypasses surgeries really started hitting the U.S. Mm-hmm. and I remember I went to a doctor and he was doing like that big group meeting and um it was where like the patients could ask questions so like Like, that was one of my, like, my question was, like, you know, like, this is where I'm at in life. One day I want to have a child. Like, what, you know, what is, if you have this surgery, like, could you still have a child? And um, I didn't know back then. And I remember this doctor straight looked at me in this room full of people. And he was like, how fat you are today, you will never be able to conceive a child. Smother the baby. Jesus. So... That, I can remember that meeting, that, 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 I I remember the doctor, like, but that (laughs) was like, whoa, what the hell am I doing? And that's when I, like, I went into drugs because it was like, you weigh 400 pounds. You've been told that you, your weight, you're not going to be able to conceive a baby, you know? And, And when that happened, I didn't find out I was pregnant until I was 27. So that was literally a decade of many times that i should have conceived um you know i believed it and and, in my heart like i had accepted that i'm gonna be this ginormous no family person so um when i was with my daughter's dad we found out we was seven weeks pregnant after being together for eight weeks. So. Wow. Right. Okay. So, yeah, for sure. um, I when I appeared on that, like, honestly, when I took the pregnancy test to begin with, like in my mind, it was like not even a possibility. It was just taking the pregnancy test to be like, yep, you know, I'm. I'm i don't i'm not having my menstrual like whatever and when it when when i peed on it and it said i was pregnant mind you how i went to like the dollar tree and i got a cheap one and, and it said i was pregnant <laughs> yeah. and i was yeah, like oh, Julie, hell, no, it can't be right. what so went to the pharmacy and bought three name brand boxes and i peed on all those <laughs> and they all was positive so um it was one of those Oh my God, like for me, I took that, like I was never like this huge religious person, but I've always believed in God, if that makes sense. So it was like in that moment, it was like- I'm the same way. You have a life inside of you and you have been believing your whole life. You was never going to get this. And I, I just, there was no way I could keep, you know, staying on Coke or meth and and know that i had this baby inside of me that i was already told i would never have
0: i gotta tell you michelle and it's making me emotional processing what you just said i'm not kidding i'm fighting back tears but you just answered the question in the most (laughs) beautiful fucking way possible you didn't do a goddamn thing your daughter gave you your new life. life period period yeah, yeah, right. Whatever the miracle of the birth and God, and all that, and your the your, your the husband or your the the father of the child, all that, any of that, just taken away. All the stuff you've been through, the drugs, all the stuff from the the, the Corvette Hot Wheels until now. Your daughter, the the conception of this person, gave you your new life. There was no question. It was like all the the the, the reverse feeling in an instant of. I can't have kids. My life sucks. I'm going to be familyless, fat, disgusting. The world's going to yeah. look at me like this, so I give up. That completely changed when you went and bought those three brand names, and <laughs> I really yeah, knew. Yeah, because right? I definitely did. Absolutely incredible. <laughs> so, yeah, I wouldn't have either. Hell no, hell no. So, for people hearing this, right? Again, you got to have your why. It isn't about being motivated or giving up on life. You have to figure out your why for you. When that. Dumbass, rude doctor told you you're never going to have kids, fatty, and then you realized that you you could and you were. It's real, b- completely changed your life in an instant. I feel that's amazing. So um, now if, from here, because message the time I don't care about going over the hour. We can talk for two hours. With it. I don't care. We're we're going to go over an hour. So let, let's keep going though. So you're 2012. You got pregnant. You were still, uh, you know, big time overweight. You got sober instantly, and I can already tell it's not like you were relapsing or going back to shit. You were sober, and you've been sober. Um, And if you want to talk about this a little bit, because it was amazing, you were faced with a life or death situation while you were uh, pregnant. And at one point, you had to make a choice, potentially lose my life and the life of my child or save myself for sure and yeah, um... lose my child.
1: As, as if you want to talk about this growth yeah, in ahead, your stomach, go ahead. <laughs> obviously you, your body changes. So as um, Angelina was getting bigger, she um, the the tube that cut, runs down the neck and into the abdomen for the drainage it got misplaced. So I started getting so sick during my pregnancy that um, they said like we we need to fix this tube. Like you're sick. Like your brain is swelling. Is not draining the fluid. So I asked them, I said, okay, like, so if we're in surgery and heaven forbid, but I know my luck, (laughs) it happens. Like what is going to happen like to me and my child? And they said, well, how many weeks along you are, there wouldn't be a way to like C-section deliver. Like we wouldn't, we would save you. Like we wouldn't, she's not viable enough source that we could justify saving the baby. And that's when, um, Basically, like two thirds of my pregnancy was sick. Uh, A lot of bed rest. Um, I had to get spinal taps through the to relieve pressure.
0: um, Ugh. Yeah, yeah.
1: So I just, I couldn't. I just, I was not okay with having the surgery to fix the brain shunt and knowing that even how minute the risk could be to the baby like I just I I, just, I couldn't go through with it I had to wait until she came mm-hmm. yeah and, and you did right you waited and I think you said year. you
0: had uh you had a few weeks after that where you were able to spend time with her and and then you had to go into the surgery but you, you had some time to actually be an un- yes. you know, initial mom <laughs> to a newborn right yeah it's freaking awesome that's so great like look what happened you know you persevered made your own decision didn't want to risk her at all and you were rewarded with that beautiful time right after so you, three weeks pass you have your surgery um and this is where we kind of get into the current part of your life the career that you're in and and you know let's let's really not super dive in but i want to hear a, a lot about this because it's it's pretty amazing so, so you're having these surgeries right
1: like, <laughs> what happens is like yeah go ahead, go ahead. do a you, brain surgery. Go, go ahead. um it's obviously a brain surgery is going to be to save someone's life. Like they don't just do that. It's not plastic surgery, you know, you don't volunteer for it. Um, mm-hmm. so basically they just, they shave your head, you know, like they get it all sterile and they get prep what they need to prep, but that's just it. They're doing what they got to do for you and they don't care what your Like if you, you know, we kind of got hip after the first couple surgeries that we would just pre-shave where we knew they would be working. But that very first brain surgery, my hair was like my butt. It was so long. Oh my. And they took all the hair and they had put it in a ponytail on the left side of my head. And then they shaved the right side of the head. So even the hair that got shaved, it was still in the ponytail with the hair still attached to the head. So then, there's like iodine, and obviously the blood, and you know, you got just this matted, nasty mess on. T- and then on top of it, like you just yeah, had surgery, yeah. so you can't exactly like get your head wa- wet and wash and, and and clean up nicely. You know, you can bird bath at a sink. So we just shaved <laughs> yeah. the whole head, and it it, it was rough. <laughs>
0: I, I think I saw, I remember seeing that first picture, and it looked good. It looked pretty even. You know, you said you did it yourself, and you'd never done that before. You did a pretty good job. It looked all right. So, um, so from there, I, that that led well, into. I went to a regular hair into salon. Into kind of, yeah. Um, you no,
1: know, thinking we would yep. fix it, and that was when they was like, "No, we won't touch you." And so I went to a barber shop, and that was when I met a barber and. Every surgery after that, like he just helped me fix it. (laughs) He helped me have a like a design, a style. It it, we would try to make it as feminine as we could. We just, you know, it it helped to have somebody that wasn't scared of staples and sutures or the scars. Like it it makes a difference when somebody (laughs) cares.
0: Oh yeah. Well, cause you, you know, you're feeling accepted. It's not the same idea of like going into high school, but they that dude didn't give a shit where the salon, right. They would have been fine. They just didn't want to deal with it. You know, they want to. So that's awesome. So you're there. You're, you're kind of learning about hairstyles because you're getting all these cool <laughs> ones. I like the one you had that was like squared out in your head, like the square. That was super cool. Um, so yeah. keep, keep going. Keep They're going. In all the, where you're actually, at in now. 2012.
1: Um, it was time for her to start school. And I have been a stay-at-home mom the whole time. So when she started school, I had like days of literally the house would be clean, the meals are prepped. Like I'm just sitting there with absolutely nothing to do because my entire life for the last four and a half years have revolved around this little girl. And I went and got a haircut and I'm sitting there and I'm just like, I think I'm I'm gonna go to barber school. (laughs) Like, I think, you know, like how, he's made me feel I want to make other people feel that way and I want to make other people when when you feel like you're at your worst like there really can be one person that can come into your life and fix it
0: yeah yeah and it can oftentimes be a stranger i talked about that recently you might have a 30 second conversation with somebody that you pass on a bus or you know freaking Walmart and they might completely change your perspective 100 um, percent agree and and I, I love because I can relate to this completely you know I've I've had we've all got haircuts up in public and re- met strangers that do that and you know the ones that are like I just get me out of this freaking chair please you're, you're just being fake you're annoying you're not impacting right. my life whatsoever and you don't even know how to cut my hair or for people like you that are like holy shit this person really gives a shit about what's going on in my life they're really taking the time to give me the haircut that I want which all that kind of ties together Um, And it sounds like, you know, you went from struggling a bit to uh, eventually you're an expert. You became really amazing at your craft. Um, So, yeah, talk about school a bit, you know, how you got through and how you got, I'm curious how you got approached to do that video. If that was like everybody in the class that, that did a testimonial. I was definitely and picked out. out. Class
1: and how'd that happen? I didn't even know about it beforehand. Nice, nice. We kind of got to school that day. And um, they're like, hey, we got a video recording team coming to make an advertisement for the school. And you know, uh, the director knowing, I guess, my story and things I have been through, he was just like, you. <laughs> you know, like, we need mm-hmm. you. Um, and it was really, honestly, to how I understood it, it was just supposed to be some like quick video and it ended up being almost 12 minute video. So, oh yeah. like and you said you guys recorded for like four hours, or five hours. Like, right? Just recording That's intense. and um, talking with him was so amazing. Like that they were, they're such a great team. Um, but it, it was, school definitely was an imprint on my life. Uh, It might not have happened till, you know, 30 plus years of age, but that I think that was a lot of the beauty of it is that I haven't stopped and, you know, I I still keep making goals and striving to do what I got to do to accomplish them.
0: Yeah, right. And you, you would not have been here if at any point along the way you decided to give up, play the victim, you know continue doing drugs or not appreciate your daughter. Oh, like You had many absolutely. chances to not be where you're at. And we all do. And and look, there are people who have dealt with 1% of what you've dealt with and still give up. And that's a choice they make. It's not like, oh, my life's so bad. No, no, no. You you make the damn choice if you're going to get up after you fall or not. And, and you have gotten up every single time a stronger woman, better for it. And now, uh, you know, and, and we're... We're not gonna talk about uh, maybe another <laughs> episode and we'll talk about it in the future, but recently, where you've been through some serious shit and all I'll say about this really simply, and everybody can relate, but if you don't understand this, you should figure it out right now. Uh, living an excellent life, being happy, you know, finding fulfillment is not something that you achieve and you're done. It's every single day, every second of your life, you to maintain that and not take things that yes. happen to you negatively as setbacks, right? right? Don't don't seem like that there. They might be steps backwards, but you don't have to stop going down your path. And you're the embodiment of that more than gamer anybody I've met in, in recent history. You know, you had so many opportunities to just let go and you did not. And that led. Now you're a successful barber. You're doing you know, making money in a, in a career that you love. You've recently started yes. uh, a nonprofit. Is that right? Talk about that because I'm fascinated. I read the mission statement. I love it. I'm all about it. Uh, it it kind of ties a little bit into what I'm doing with my mission and this podcast and the things I'm working on. But uh, yeah, go ahead and talk about that. How did that idea come um, from? Where did you get the name? And, and what's we're the
1: called goal? Statistics. We are definitely very, very new in, um, you know, endeavor. Um, but yeah, ultimately, yeah. what it came from was basically all my life every statistic possible has been stacked against me it's been you know like you should have died or you know this or you know you're 420 pounds like you're gonna have diabetes you're like every statistic that could possibly be against a person I have basically had to try to reverse the odds then you know just through life there's things like I gotta drive an hour and 15 minutes to school, gotta go be there for 10 hours, gotta drive an hour and 15 minutes home. Do I put this money in gas or do I go buy some groceries? Um, Being a single parent, it puts you in a situation like where things aren't statistically good. Just a single parent alone, the statistics against yourself and your child are astronomically unfair. To be told you make too much money for food stamps, but you know that you just paid the rent and the bills and you got to go to school because that's what's going to make your life better for your child like i wanted to create something that was the middle ground for the people that make too much money for food stamps, but they know that if they don't pay this bill that utility might get shut off you know like there it's almost like there's not enough help for a certain level and then there's too much help for another level
0: oh I totally agree I I really don't even want to go into this too much but there are times when I see uh, you know these overfilled grocery carts that have you know three four hundred dollars worth of food and again I I don't want to I'm just for the audience and you you kind of figure what I'm talking about then they go out to their escalate or, the or,
1: stamp card or, or their to you know, $80, <laughs>
0: vehicle yes exactly you, that's exactly what I'm saying it, there there is it's it's a big-time problem and and you, you, you're you an example of not because they didn't even give you the chance to you know to be a welfare for you didn't have a chance so you had to make it work and <clears throat> excuse me I want to comment one thing about what you're doing and kind of the, a broader scale to you know people they look at statistics if, if you were to take the things that happened in your life and hedged your bets on whether you were going to become a successful person in life you know if you were just like a, a purely right. not feelings just looking at like numbers right there at any point along the way if someone were to hedge their bets or and, and think of it like this way too if you own a company and you're looking at a resume One person's a felon, got a whole bunch of problems, did some drugs, blah, blah, blah. That, those are statistically not gonna be a good employee. They could be though, They could be the best employee you've ever had. So people look at those numbers and they dictate that's who that person is. I totally agree and even more practically what you're talking about with, with money, they look at your income, right? Your quote unquote income and how much you're making and you're not allowed to get a little bit of extra help. When someone who is not working as hard as you, is using the system for their own advantage. And, and, and I, I, again, I, I want to hold my tongue and say any more with like that, but um, you, you know what I'm getting at. And it, it's, a, it's kind of a travesty. So if there was some kind of middle ground where you were able to apply through a nonprofit, you know, and I'm already kind of running my gears. Maybe we'll talk offline about this and I could help support and, and be a part of it. But you know, you, you buy into the program, you get the help that you need, get on your feet, and then you're also there in the future to like help people out. And think of it like an emergency fund a lot of companies have those where, you know, if something, a major disaster happens in your life, you can request some help from your company. So if there was something more like a, a nonprofit for everybody in the country, not just yeah. for an individual company, I think that'd be awesome. It could really help a lot of lives, and there would be right, a lot right of now, philanthropists and people right now, that want to get involved like, that realize understand the problem.
1: this brilliant, amazing community center, and in my mind, it's out like you know different sections and rooms yeah. and formats and everything but ultimately at the end of the day like I can literally see don't raise statistics being worldwide like literally like my goal yeah, is to no, basically yeah, ultimately go into all of the lowest income communities and the most stricken with the worst statistics and I want to fix them
0: Yes, and and it's so funny you're saying like that. I guess to cap off my point, you know, you get people that look at those stats and they make a decision based on how they should go forward instead of thinking, "What can I do to help right. and help the statistic and help that group or that community?" Right? I, I, it's it's super powerful. Um, that's great, and I guess kind of your end game, uh, schooling wise, and what you want to do long term, kind of coupled with the, the nonprofit is yes, you want to get into um, law. Yep. family law and and become a lawyer right yeah yeah talk about that for a little bit where that motivation come from and we started i think i have an idea but go ahead
1: and lawyers (laughs) some of the things we was needing to do to get the statistics going and when you map out those financial costs over the years it's almost better to earn those degrees yourself and not pay those fees (laughs) ultimately um I want yeah. to get the bachelor's in accounting and I want to get a law degree um with the family law and nonprofit law. Um more so to work with don't raise statistics and the people that can't afford the lawyers and the accountants to help them financially plan their lives or whatever I, I can't even begin to tell you how much we've had to spend on lawyers for family law just for me to go through what I've had to do for my daughter. So to be able to try to make these opportunities available to the people that generally could never afford them to eat good representation like the goal mm-hmm. is to just use that platform to help make people's lives better. So I do want to my goal is to become A lawyer and get my law degree the same year that my daughter graduates high school so we both walk across the stage in the same year and then i've given myself 10 years to do this which it could be done in about seven or eight and i just right now it's trying to plan it financially because like i am the single parent and so i gotta plan you know student loan or like i'm about to pay for some degrees that Mm -hmm. there's no intention of Using them to make myself money, if that.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. You, you know, you know what I'm thinking. Your the organization kind of yes. reminds me of. Yes. It's like the like St. Jude's, right, for children, and that that organization helps kids get better physically. Where your organization mm-hmm. is and, more and of a just financial showing and them emotional standpoint, home, right? But it's you not, don't
1: it's, have to be what the statistics are
0: Exactly yeah right right because you get that when you this is a, a big proponent of my life and it's, it's a little bit more woo-woo how, how I kind of describe it but when you label yourself I'm a procrastinator I'm an alcoholic I'm a low-income statistic and never gonna be anything else when you do that it can be really tough to get out so to have an environment an organization even a couple of people to talk to you that can get you out of that mindset when you're young so important so important that it's it's awesome uh, just such a such a great goal and I'm going to do everything in my power to help you get that out there and grow this through this podcast and anything else I do I uh, and, and people are going to hear this and now we're talking about this because we kind of hit our hour mark um, and I, I do want to talk a little bit more but if you want to talk for a minute about and I'm going to put all of this on um, the show notes and a link to your video so people can get to know a little more about you and, and anywhere they can find you where can people go to um, either support the, the, don't raise statistics or well, connect with uh, you or, Facebook, or whatever. What's the best um, way to find? Obviously,
1: it's how we have um, Michelle Ramos. Um, mm-hmm. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter—they're all. It's all Barber Beauty Four Thirteen um, at Barber Beauty Four Thirteen. Michelle Ramos. Um, that's it's all there. <laughs> we got. The, the don't raise statistics it's not like i said we the... i just began this endeavor so like um i got i'm in five different books now about building the business plans and and you know
0: nice just, nice
1: we're in the building phase i've been tossing around the idea of setting up a GoFundMe for don't raise statistics in the sense of like one that doesn't necessarily have an end date, but maybe you, like there are people that have asked, well, like we can help financially, but can we do this? Um, I've had, I've been approached to say, once I get a solid business plan put together, you know, come to them. They're financial investors that love the idea and they would love to see the community center built. But, and that's kind of where Gosh going to school for accounting and nonprofit law and family law came into play because I can't really afford to pay the people to help me build the business plans. So I get on Amazon and I buy business plan books, and law books, and I go to the library and I just indulge in as much free knowledge as I can, well, I can, until I can afford the schooling to really learn <laughs> what to do.
0: Michelle, I got to tell you, um, I'm not trying to make you feel good, kiss your ass, or smoke up your butt. (laughs) You're a really incredible person. The the, the fact that you're—no, I really mean that. And and I'm not again. I don't care if I never talk to you again. It's so true, and I do care about that. But you're you're such an amazing person. To hear you talk about. Your current state, even with all the stuff I know about that you've been through recently, but talk about your current state, where you want to go in the future. And I'm already like buying into it like it's oh, already it going to happen because of your <laughs> it confidence in the pass. way you're describing that. There are so many people. Oh, I know, I know, I know. I am I can see myself walking into the, the thing right now being like, holy shit, it's amazing. But uh, the fact that you have such an unwavering confidence, I hesitate to say positivity, but it is. This positivity to push yourself forward And not even you're not even considering anything that's happened in your past none of it right the weight of that is what keeps most people from even finding some semblance of happiness in their life so anybody that's hearing this uh, i really hope if you're in that mindset of damn everything sucks think about what michelle has been through is your life really that bad like the card that she's been dealt that, she did not have anything to do with getting that those cards. It was what she it was dealt to her, and she still went through it. There are people who make their own mistakes, and it's completely under their control, and they still give up, right? You could have done that. You could have played the victim, and that's, I, I commend you so much for what you're doing. You're such an incredible mom, just based on base of what you've told me, and even when you had her, you know, you talk about all my entire right. existence for years as my daughter, those first four years. like. A lot of people don't do that. So I commend you for what you've done. Uh, I appreciate the conversation. <laughs> we, I thing, will bro, have you back. And one thing, I told like, all my guests, I like, uh, maybe I guess three to six months. Is go like, ahead, go you ahead.
1: do say, like, I keep pushing and everything. And, like, people need to believe, like, you really can keep pushing. But I don't want people to think, like, there were days I would lay in bed. And, and this is even after having my daughter. I would wake up pissed off I woke up. Like when you have a new baby and you weigh 420 pounds and you know you need a hip replacement and then it's like you had to wake up and and fight for the life that I feel my daughter deserves. And like people talk about generational curses and you know, like how you said the cards you're dealt, like I could be dealt this hand and I accept what I was dealt, but just because you accept it doesn't mean that it's what you got to go with. Right.
0: Yeah, or that it's going to be easy, right? It's still going to be fucking difficult to get through. But right. like you said, you make that decision every morning, up. even though it Keep sucks, going. even you might not want to do it. I'm not. I'm glad you. Yeah, I'm glad you said this because I didn't want to paint that as this perfect picture of perseverance leads to ending fulfillment. No, you're you're Maybe. still working at it day to day, even even as we speak right now. So, I guess that's the takeaway from this. Yeah, you don't, guys. If you're trying to find if you think you're on some quest and there's going to be some end and you're done and you can sit back and relax you're living in fantasy land this is a commitment you make and you got to persevere through it every single day and if you keep doing that you could end up where michelle is where it been through a ton of amazing and also crazy shit and is still able to push forward so i it's just incredible Likewise. I, I, i've had such a great time talking to you um you know, while we'll talk offline yeah it's been incredible, and. I got to, I'd like to have you back and usually <laughs> it's three to six months for other guests too. but I, I have a feeling it might be a little bit quicker for you um, yeah awesome well thank you so much again I appreciate your time and uh, we'll talk soon I'll make sure to get all your links and so people can connect with you and yeah please guys ladies and gentlemen go connect with Michelle see if you can help her nonprofit because it's going to change the world and,
1: oh, so uh, thank I'm, you. I'm happy
0: to at least thank be part you. of it at least in a little bit right now so yes, thank you for being here day. Michelle yeah